Hello and welcome to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 10, and today we are chatting with Jason Anik. Jason is an American violinist and composer based in Boston. He's a uh, jazz violin professor at Berklee College of Music, and he has his own band, Rhythm Future, a gypsy jazz band. Um, we had a nice day hanging out in London. I had a bit of a jam, went for some food with our mutual friend Kurosh Kanani, and uh, yeah, please uh, enjoy. Okay then, Jason Anik. What? Um, how did you start playing? How did I start playing? Well, um, kind of a similar story to a lot of people. Um, around five or six years old, um, I I saw um, my dad. Uh, who who also plays violin? And I saw, ah. I I kind of was starting to get into it, and I saw it around the house, yeah. and um, and uh, my my dad saw that I kind of had an affinity and was drawn towards the instrument, and so he, um, you know, started to teach me some fiddle music, and then pretty quickly got me into uh, classical lessons around right. uh, where I grew up, which is uh, outside of Boston. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And so when you say fiddle music, you mean like American fiddle tune? Yeah, so more like uh, what they call like New England traditional music, jigs and reels. So it, it, there's some right. carry, of course, uh, carries over from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the UK and Ireland. Sure, yeah. um, but they call it like, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag because of all the different um, yeah. people that are in New England mm-hmm. um, and there's these fiddle contests that I would I would do oh really yeah yeah and and some bluegrass as well my dad's uh, big into bluegrass and had bluegrass bands so I heard that music growing up as well right okay so New, in- New England like folk music it, you say it's quite like um, Scottish and Irish stuff and English stuff yeah there's some some of that um, it's just kind of a mixed bag it's, it's right. a bunch of different different traditions some from uh Things from that, you know, come from Canada, and it's a big variety. So, right. um, yeah. So, so that was that was part of my upbringing. I learning fiddle tunes from ear, yeah. And then, um, you know, doing a nice classical teacher that was, you know, getting um, getting me started with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, when did you start doing classical stuff? I think I was around six. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. And did you did, have you kept that up? Yeah, I ended up um, keeping that up through through conservatory. So, you know, over the years, I, I did my my, hor- my high school orchestra, and I had mm-hmm. teachers all throughout. And I um, I went to Hart Conservatory in Connecticut, right? And uh, was was lucky to be able to study both jazz and classical with a right. really great uh, classical teacher who was very open-minded and uh, knew that I was again I was bound to be a jazz musician you know right. I wasn't following the traditional classical soloists because yeah. my my heart was in jazz at that point yeah. but 
I love classical music and I knew how beneficial it was to my playing. So I kept it up there and in fact even to this day I I still practice uh, a lot of classical music because it's co- constant challenge and yeah. like I, I'm working on some Paganini stuff and so that's just like a big part of my technical practice yeah, right yeah. now and of course Bach yeah. studying the harmony and uh, mm. beautiful the beauty of all the the voice leading and uh, it's some of the best music for solo violin so yeah. sometimes if I'm ever stressed I'll just pull out my Bach partita book and just play through a, a oh, cool. play through yeah, them yeah. yeah okay um that's that's interesting that you say that you had an open-minded classical teacher because um it's not very common who did that speak to you? i think it was <laughs> it's very common i was speaking, speaking to zach brock the like the last the last episode we did with zach brock and he had the same thing and i was complaining about my um what I my uh, well, what happened with your me. experience? Yeah, because I had actually sort of the opposite. I had yeah. a teacher who was who was really good, and actually could really, I could see could really sort of help me with my technique stuff, but just wasn't was just sort would just even would just be saying stuff like, "Oh, you'd be a great violinist if you didn't play jazz." Yeah, like that's that. that like, man. We live in twenty first century. Yeah, let's just chill out (laughs) yeah yeah i mean there's definitely something to be said about taking the instrument seriously and putting in the time because it's a very difficult instrument so the classical pedagogy for hundreds of years has really um formulated these great tech great great techniques and etudes and studies to perfect and control your instrument and so those are great but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't study those and maybe instead of spending six hours a day learning all these concertos because you don't want to be and you might not want to be a soloist but you want to you want to reap the benefits of uh learning from classical music and then but also you want to learn jazz rep because you can't um, you know, I work with classical players, and you can't just do classical and all of a sudden just pretend to improvise. Yeah, you have sure, to take yeah. that as serious, just yeah, as seriously. Yeah. So I think some sort of balance yeah. is where a lot of people are headed. Yeah. Um, whether it's um, a little bit of classical and fiddle music, yeah. uh, whether it's um, all of the above. Like yeah. where I'm at at Berkeley, you see people that are playing uh, will be in a fiddle ensemble, and then they'll do a classical chamber thing. And then they'll uh, be in a jazz combo. That's great. And then they end up writing original pop music. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it, yeah, and that's yeah. how it is these days. Or they'll yeah. they'll write like things where they loop and they sing. Yeah. But I think that open-minded approach, but with a very serious attitude towards uh, studying. Yeah. Um, and t- basically taking the best of uh, the different st- genres and what they have to teach us and what they have to offer. And so, yeah, yeah. so that's kind of how I brought up, was brought up. I mean, learning the fiddle music, yeah. um, learning classical music, um, and, and of course being all about uh, jazz and improvisation and going to jazz jam sessions and being immersed in playing with horn players. That was the all all really good for me and yeah. and sometimes it's tricky to uh, not find a direction because you you feel like you're yeah. oh what am I I play a little this little yeah. of that and I ended up you know uh, taking all 
those and trying to make my own style within it. Of course, mm-hmm. the gypsy jazz has yeah. followed me, and I love that style. Um, but you know, I I I I, I kind of call it more of like a jazz without borders. So I love yeah. I love the jazz idiom for its improvisation. But I'll bring in uh, I might hint at some fiddle elements in in a song I compose. Yeah, might throw in the gypsy elements. Maybe throw in some classical chamber arrangements. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I have you know where you could imagine everyone's playing these um you know classical arrangements together and mm-hmm. put that into a section so i think it, it makes it more interesting to to kind of blend it all for me and that yeah. that that's been something i've focused on that's cool i, th- I feel like that you must i think i think america is just a bit more open-minded with the this with maybe maybe with string playing i don't know it could be I was thinking, again I was talking about that with Zach because and he, I think he seemed to agree that I think in 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 the UK there's not it still hasn't happened yet that like the the the, uh, the institutions that people study at aren't uh, they still don't really still not a jazz string thing going on and the the, the there's yeah it's 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 coming it's definitely coming and i think there are a lot of a lot more programs that are looking to a place like berkeley which is growing yeah um and and it's drawing from people all around the world who know hey this is a place where you can find yourself and and be yourself yeah and we'll guide you into whatever path, you know. Yeah, that's great. And I'm not. And there are other schools too. I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, disclaimer. I teach at Berkeley. I didn't. Even, I didn't go there, but I've been around there now, teaching there six years, and have yeah. seen such a variety of students. And 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 it's it's the model is it's pretty cool about yeah. about the open mindedness. But I think other places are starting to adapt some similarities, saying, "Hey, instead of like forcing them down a strict." classical soloist path which we still need that and that will exist you know there are places there's high level for that but maybe hey let's introduce them to let's say bring the the string players into the jazz ensemble um maybe start a a new music ensemble or a pop ensemble bring strings and just the 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 people are starting to realize that um the whole freelance lifestyle where where you do a little this little that is is a little more common for for working musicians yeah. these days yeah yeah, um, yeah every now and then you get somebody who like you know they're like five or six and they're like i want to play violin and i want to be a classical soloist and that's all they do yeah. and sometimes that's what it takes yeah, yeah um but i think for the majority of people ha- being well-rounded and kind of finding your voice within different traditions and, and shaping it based on uh, some sort of um, amalgam of all the different things you've learned. I think yeah. that that's that's a good path for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I totally agree. I think actually, um, when I spoke to Chris Chris Garrick, I think he did say that he's uh, doing a little bit of bringing the the uh, all the violinists in the Royal Academy into doing bits of jazz, and mm-hmm. I think they do maybe they'll maybe do a couple of uh, workshops a year or something like yep. that where everyone everyone has a go yeah and there's a few schools in new york that are are now do uh, manhattan and there's uh this in miami and florida yeah. and of course now uh, scott tixier who oh, yeah, yeah. you interviewed is texas. now has a gig in texas yeah. and that's a brand new program that he's designing so that's fantastic cool. uh and and of course there's there's people 
people as people graduate from all these programs they then go somewhere maybe their hometown or maybe a different city and find their own pocket of uh where they can create them and and invent themselves and so they'll have their own students and so it just takes time it takes generations as long as the seriousness doesn't get lost the the, the, people have to take it seriously so it's all sometimes you say oh just do a little this little that and have fun but it's like well every tradition has a has to be really studied and so as long as it's maintained that it's the importance of work and the work ethic and um valuing the time you have to spend to to do that is important just trying (laughs) yeah yeah as long as you're trying but it has to start with um programs that are open-minded yeah yeah. uh you know i think from the classical side people are um slowly starting to open up and embrace hey improvisation maybe that will help my classical playing um that's something i mentioned in the workshop this morning two fantastic classical players who are really trying to embrace um the the improvisation and not necessarily to be the next uh you know, greatest jazz violinist, but to to really um, explore what it, what improvisation can do for their own sound and for yeah. their own playing. Yeah. Which maybe it is. Oh, they'll write their own cadenzas, or yeah. um, they will now understand lead sheets if they're given them, or yeah. you know, again, it's it's, it's helpful across yeah, the board. Totally, totally. So you got into jazz and improvising through the like camps in America, right? Is that right? Yeah, so so before I started going to camps, um, my dad introduced me to uh, you know, the, the gypsy jazz tradition. So right. he had Django Reinhardt records and yeah, yeah. Stefan Grappelli and he actually brought me to see Stefan Grappelli perform his last cool. tour in the US. I was around I was about twelve. That was a eye-opening experience. That must have been, yeah. Yeah, so that was. So cool. I was very lucky to be able to see yeah. him on his last tour. Did you ever get to see him? No, I think. I think by the time I was even thinking about it, my granddad introduced me to him. I think he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Super. When did he? When did he die? Uh, ninety. Ninety something. So no? so I saw him in nineteen ninety six, and I think. Yeah. It was a few years later, I but he was it. not touring. So, so that was pretty early on. So, so in other words, my 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 dad was definitely encouraging me to explore yeah. what's out there, and um, he introduced me to um, different worlds of music yeah. and encouraged it. And we would actually right. experiment together. He would yeah. play guitar, or we'd both play violin, and we would write music together. Cool. Um, and then pretty. Soon after that, I I went to uh, Django in June. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned those camps. Yeah. So this is one of the first ones I went to. Oh, wow. Was Django in June, and which is now become kind of a mecca, if you if yeah. you will, of of this style in the U.S. Right. And I grew up an hour away from there. Wow. So cool. I mean, that's one of those right place, right time. Yeah. Because as the camp was starting up, um, that's and, and living living uh an hour away so my dad started taking me and you know that i met tim cliphouse oh, yeah. another fantastic uh, yeah, yeah. dutch violinist I know, I know uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh, robin nolan oh yeah 
um, and oh, some great opportunities came from meeting them yeah. and getting to play with them. Yeah. Um, a little, like a few years later, Robin Nolan invited me to perform at Montreal Jazz Fest. And that was mm. kind of a big, really big, big gig for me because that helped me then to meet John Jorgensen, which yeah. was another big gig for me. So yeah, the camps, not only for the, the educational side of like learning the style and yeah. hanging out with them, but also the connections it makes. Yeah. So Django and June is one camp that um, I went to and now I've been teaching at um, Creative Strings Workshop, which is partly why we're here right now, yeah. where is um, um, Adam Spires, great cellist, is someone I met at uh, Christian House Camp. Yeah. And now here we are doing this yeah, interview yeah. at Adam's flat in London. Yeah. Yeah. He brought me over for the workshops and um, and then I met uh, Kirash and Giacomo, yeah, yeah. great uh, London-based musicians yeah. who uh, came over to Django in June, and we played there and hit yeah. it off. And they brought me to perform out here. So, so the camps um, have have been incredible experiences. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and the other one is uh, the Mark O'Connor camp. I I went to that mm-hmm. as a you know late teenager, um, my early twenties, and then years later I was uh, teaching at them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seems like the um there's a there's a bigger um there's a bigger scene for those camps in America than there is in in the UK. I saw this has ended up being a I'm just talking about the comparisons between the US and the UK. But it is interesting to hear that because actually and actually just listening to you guys talking um just now when we were having a coffee, the way you're talking about you know, because you guys know each other from from the from the camp you and Adam. It's just interesting hearing you guys talking about all these musicians that I've maybe seen little videos of or know from the internet and just seeing how you guys have sort of come together as a little a little group through meeting at these camps and playing and jamming with each other and it seems really, really positive, really, really nice. Yeah. I feel like we should... Uh, we should uh, it sounds like get the uh, London camp going. Yeah, we need to get some sort of UK camp. There are some Gypsy Jazz camps, as in not Gypsy Jazz camps, some of the festivals now are beginning... Uh, are beginning to see, I think, from people like Django, like places like Django and June, that that's a really great way to 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 get people involved and ha- have yeah. people. Because I think it is true that, especially in Gypsy Jazz, going a bit far into there now, but in Gypsy Jazz, it seems like most people who listen to Gypsy Jazz sort of play Gypsy Jazz to some degree, isn't it? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Gypsy Jazz is is definitely one of those styles where at these camps you'll have um, a big variety of yeah. people right. who, who play yeah. and at different levels yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's yeah. and it's very inclusive yeah you, like you, you can go to Django and June and if you're at the right place at the right time you, you could have been playing guitar for one year and have an opportunity to play and jam with you know yeah. Angelo DeBar or yeah. Stokely Rosenberg or you, or you name it or the, all the fantastic uh, French young French guys yeah, that yeah. come over yeah um, so I got to play with all them and, yeah. and then our paths crossed again yeah. in different ways and and the, but the, yeah there's a it, just like in any style it's important to have have amateurs who are very passionate about yeah. the music they help support the scene yeah they have real jobs and uh, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't devalue what they do but no. as musicians because they they can a lot some of them are fantastic and some of yeah. them they actually 
I know some great people who have full-time jobs and gig on the weekend and they yeah. have really good bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a big part of it. And I yeah. think it, it goes with, you know, Roots Music, uh, Bluegrass has the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, okay. you can, hey, you know, let's, let's, you can learn a tune and, yeah. and, and you won't, you bring them in. Yeah. I think jazz, like contemporary jazz doesn't yeah. do it as much. I think it, there it depends on the scene it depends on the club and what yeah. the session is but sometimes it's hey if you don't know this advanced tune don't even bother coming yeah totally whereas i think in gypsy jazz um maybe for more of the root the roots of the music being a little more community based yeah. um maybe a little less competitive yeah. in the nature of this the music that it's more like, hey, yeah, you're welcome to come and yeah. uh, play, and we'll let's get around the campfire and just yeah, play yeah. tunes and yeah, join yeah. in, play rhythm yeah. with us, and yeah, yeah. so that that that's that's great. I love that it communal amazing, aspect yeah. of of this style of music. Yeah. It is great, and I think seeing that starting up in some of these festivals. There's one in Wales. Have you heard of that one, the March Manouche? I've heard about it. Yeah. yeah, that's one that that's one that's really nice. That's on its way to. Build this building. It's got Stockholm going over this. Oh yeah, it's Christian and stuff. Well, certainly um, it makes sense. You guys are right. Yeah, you're right here. I mean, even 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 with the talent here in just in around London, you you got yourself like half of a festival yeah. of artists, and then you bring up people. People, you got France is so close. Yeah, that is the that's the the good thing about. UK, yeah, so with the US, it's a little more yeah. of a unique thing to bring over people from France, whereas yeah. over here, it's almost like you take advantage of it. Yeah, of course, people yeah. from France, but then it doesn't necessarily mean that it comes into fruition. That, But 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 people will come over and play yeah. at places here in London, like Le Cucumbar, and yeah. they will, because there, there is a scene here, yeah. for sure. Yeah, totally. But I, I, I think it would be great to, to continue to have... Um, you know, American artists going over, coming over here to yeah. Europe and vice versa. Yeah. And I think it's that's a big part of why we play music. Yeah, it's totally. to not just be in our our own practice room and playing by ourselves. It's it's community. It's getting having the opportunity to to meet other people yeah. like you and yeah, and to get to play. We were just saying, I think maybe the UK can be or London actually specifically. The little scenes don't always tend to meet enough. Maybe it's like that everywhere. But, you I, know, think, like, I think it the, is actually like the gypsy jazz musicians don't quite make it to Ronnie's you know Ronnie Scott's and play there and and like you don't you don't the folk, you know you don't really meet the folk musicians and the, the the like I guess your like you guys version of that would be like like what you were saying the fiddle fiddle yeah bluegrass bluegrass, bluegrass is big, big in the US yeah newgrass but there there are there's some crossover for sure between gypsy jazz and bluegrass. Right. Okay. More there's actually probably more crossover with bluegrass and gypsy jazz than there is with jazz and gypsy jazz. Wow, okay. Which is kind of wild because yeah. for me uh Django and Grappelli were jazz musicians. Yeah. It just so happened, just, yeah. you know. Django was gypsy. Yeah. But that, that sometimes is is forgotten, but I know it's it, again I think it has to do with the acoustic instruments yeah. with with bluegrass and gypsy jazz and yeah. the energy and like the community like hey anyone can come jam on minor swing yeah, anyone yeah. can jam on this fiddle tune yeah i think that is not the the vibe in the modern jazz world <laughs> you know like you said not, like, not as much yeah. no you should, you should how long are you here for uh i'm here 
for a couple more days. Yeah, I'm. Just trying to get down the runnies. Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember. I think there were jams on Wednesday. See, that's it. I don't even know. I, I, I like it's been so long since I've been down. No, I know, I know. But, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I think if not, totally the, if down, not man. this trip, definitely next, next time. time. Yeah. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to experience that. You're yeah. good to have a violin takeover. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> yeah. It's like one violin. Yeah. At a je- at a modern jazz session, they're like, "Is this guy for real?" And yeah. two, and they're like, "Okay, uh, they're definitely not for real." <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So you started doing. Sorry, going back to your timeline. You started doing. You started going to these um, these camps, mm-hmm. and then you the, the the camps helped you progress to the point where you got into university or what would you say college to to learn. Yeah, so the camps was a great supplemental education, you know, going there during the summer, mm-hmm. um, and then, um, you know, the my ability to meet, like, Christian Howe's yeah. big early influence of mine, um, getting to meet him and seeing another jazz violinist yeah. who's like, wow, okay, this guy is incredible, and had so many great uh, pieces of advice for me that really were extremely helpful for, for overcoming some things, and... Yeah. Um, and uh, my, it helped my development along, and then mm-hmm. I ended up uh, going to Hart and was able to um, kind of hang in the, the jazz scene there, which uh, it was the Jackie McLean School. Jackie McLean, great uh, sax player, yeah. one, one of the kind of one of the uh, last of, of that generation. Wow. You know, he hung out with Sonny Rollins, etc. And um, so he was in in New York at that scene and. He was there two years when I was there before he passed away, but I got to see him. Um, and it was, it was that that heart was definitely more in the New York hard bop scene, which at that time and and still now I love that stuff. But at that time, that was actually a big thing because I, I, for a while I was kind of like uh, kind of I kind of had this phase in college where I wasn't as interested in gypsy jazz where I put it on the side because before college I was doing it. I had the hot club of Marlboro where I grew up and yeah. I played it with my dad. And so, but I was like really interested in said, trying to prove that violin can, because yeah. violin naturally fits in gypsy jazz. Yeah. It's like, of course you play yeah. that. But I was like, I was like, what about throwing it into a setting? Yeah. Um, Cause one of my f- earliest influences period was charlie parker yeah yeah when i was around like 16 and 17 i only listened to charlie parker yeah yeah that's all i listened to for an entire year right and was like probably the only person in my high school who was like blasting charlie parker in my car and like singing along with it um i was obsessed with it so that was one of my first influences and um you know that so so that style that like bebop and post bebop and the um, the more like hard bop as they call it, which is kind of what the contemporary um, version of bebop um, with a little more modern edge. Yeah, that was what I was interested in, um, yeah. and I wanted to be taken seriously yeah, as yeah. A, a violinist who could do that. And so I was hanging out with a lot of saxophone players, mm. um, bassists, drummers, pianists. Yeah, um, and I was the only jazz violinist, yeah, so it was yeah. like, you know, that was. It was kind of fun in a way, but it was also like I was constantly having to prove it myself and, yeah, and do that. Um, but it you know it was it was a great great experience for me. This I mean, 
having challenges like that definitely helps your playing. Um, you know, yeah. if everyone just tells you you're great all the time, it doesn't yeah. really help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's great for your self esteem, but not always great. Yeah. For if someone's like, man, you're not cutting it. Like that sax player can yeah. play changes. You know. Yeah. Sometimes you need that, and so I'm yeah. very, I'm definitely more on the encouraging, positive side. But at the same time, you gotta be real with with students, or I always happy people were real with me about, okay, you're gonna encounter challenges in yeah. to be taken seriously in the jazz world, playing violin, just because some people don't know, or they don't know that they want that in their band, or or yeah, yeah. you know what, so. You have to really play. You have yeah. to really be able to play. That you have to know the rep. You have to know that. And so, so that at college, I was like really into that. Yeah. Um, but all, at the same time, uh, I was also really passionate about gypsy jazz yeah, and, yeah. and really taking that seriously as well. And so okay, during, yeah. during summer, I was go, still going to those camps and yeah, yeah. still gigging and playing with people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, my first real professional gig was um, my. During my senior year at Heart, I had got connected with John Jorgensen, a great uh, guitar player, mm-hmm. who had the John Jorgensen Quintet, one of the kind of the top groups in the U.S. Yeah, doing uh, kind of contemporary gypsy jazz and world music, and you know, I had I had heard about him and uh, I knew of his quintet. But right when I was about to graduate, another kind of like right timing right place um he was looking for a new violin player to tour and he was doing like 150 shows a year it was busy and it was good work um, traveling and so he emailed me i was like i'm just about to finish school i can't i want to finish i don't want to drop out and so he was nice enough he gave me an audition i got the gig and he was nice to let me finish school their violin player play it basically did till i graduated did it till i graduated so great really good segue into right uh, yeah it was it was great i mean of course i my whole life was prepared for that i mean because like what he wanted was somebody really classically have the classical edge and sound really no gypsy jazz yeah. kind of grappelli-esque tone but also more but also open-minded because yeah. there he does he'll throw in like a little more rock and tune so yeah can't be a stiff classical player in that yeah. right so it fit it really fit well like stylistically we, we both did it and um i still play with john here and there but um i did it i did that game for 10 years and wow. probably seven eight hundred shows with them yeah it was great wow great opportunity so that was i was i was very blessed and i'm very lucky right place right time yeah, in yeah. combination of connecting with the right people through all the camps i went to yeah and um put in the work and like mastered his material when he sent it out for the audition and all that so yeah so then once i got that gig um you know the the bebop and the 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 more modern jazz stuff was still in me but this opportunity to play gypsy jazz and tour on that so i was like kind of went full on into that world um for for a while and then um, later on kind of came back to the modern stuff as yeah. well yeah. yeah so that must have been yeah I guess that playing with John must have been a big a big part of your development then yeah so you know playing with him of course and then uh, from the the you know the music business side just kind of watching him because he's okay. made a career out of playing music so whenever you see 
other people that have made a career of performing it's, yeah. it's, it's so much you can learn from that I see how he how he uh leads a band yeah. you know i learned so much from that as well and and met a lot of uh, people who runs these great concert series around the u.s yeah met people all around the world and so yeah it was just like the perfect stepping stone yeah for my development like musically and career-wise yeah to kind of get me and lead me into where i am today for yeah. sure is there anything that you uh you struggle with when it comes to uh playing i guess yeah when it comes to playing jazz or just violin or that you have struggled with in the past oh yeah i mean i think there's there's so many things with the violin that are a constant struggle and that's part of the reason i like it is that it's yeah. like it's just it's like you're just it's always battling it yeah um it's why i'm like i'm like always i'm still working i'm like currently working on these pagani pieces because this, they're just yeah. so hard yeah <laughs> they're so hard there's nothing easy about them and yeah. and I'm not saying I'm in the master or anything, but I, I like that challenge. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, those kind of things are are definitely a fun struggle. It's yeah, it's, and um, but I, but also early on, and I like to tell my students this too because sometimes my students will see me and be like, "Oh man, how can you play so like how do you play so fast and stuff?" And yeah. I'm like, "Well, I didn't used to. I used to struggle. I mean, I used to really have some technical issues, and that yeah. was where my." Uh, classical teacher at heart conservatory was like all right you got some serious lapses in your technique that we got to address and i'm so glad we did right. so i spent those four years yeah like really a lot of etudes a lot of technical and just just saying i need to get this together because yeah. ultimately i wanted all the ideas and all the the creative side of me i wanted those to be able to come out yeah. fluidly yeah and in the moment, I didn't want to get stopped up from some technique, technical thing, whether it's the bow yeah. or my left hand. And I think I, I was too tense. Uh, I had too much tension. So I think I think it's good, you know, as a teacher too, to have gone through these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell them like I, I struggled with a lot of things. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I wouldn't just pick it up and it's like, yeah, this is how I sound, and yeah. that's how I still sound at 32. It's no, it's it's been a constant development and i'm still still developing you know playing all around the fingerboard would be great i mean i'm still working on that you know yeah. sometimes i, I you can, there's a lot you can do with, with first position third position and some of the up on the ie string but sometimes i'm like i want to explore a little more yeah, of yeah. the what they call the dusty part yeah, you know yeah. not just when i'm playing classical stuff but like finding them so i'm navigating patterns yeah. around there getting that trying to find how how I can make up the neck kind of a little more interesting and, and uh, a usable area, more usable than it already is. How are you doing that then? Well, so a lot of it, like these these uh, these I was mentioning these J twos, these oh, yeah. these <laughs> Jason A twos as I call them. The J twos are these kind of fingerboard mapping exercises. Yeah. And so I think a big part of being up there is you got to know where you are. Yeah. You can't just guess. You yeah. can't do you can't bs up there you know yeah, it has yeah. to be clear you have to know what you're doing so i'm taking a lot of my mapping that i have fluid now in the lower positions mm -hmm. and and just going up there and realizing actually it's very similar the, yeah, the relationships right. are very similar um and sometimes you think you know from a violence perspective like you have a first finger capo is good to move around but even the ability to be fluid with like you're mm -hmm. all the way up in seventh position and you can be fluid up there yeah is it 
the most practical of all time? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, there's still so much you can do within the low positions because yeah. we are so lucky as violinists. We basically have a saxophone range in yeah. first position. Yeah, yeah. It's so. unbelievable. So anytime someone says jazz, violin isn't good for jazz, doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Jazz isn't as common. I mean, violin isn't as common in jazz. Yeah, that's that's naturally the case. But it's a great instrument for jazz because yeah, totally. you can play most of Charlie Parker's solos in first position, maybe second, third. Um, you have to go up. You have to sometimes put them up in octaves. Every now and then, yeah. yeah. But for the most part, the range yeah, yeah. of like melodic, I call it like melodic range. Because yeah, yeah. of course on a piano... You can do an insane amount yeah. of choral stuff, and you can do these big, yeah, yeah. huge octave things, but that's just the same thing repeated yeah, in different yeah, octaves. Yeah, yeah. Melodies are more like one octave, octave and a half. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the violin, like a voice, yeah. is really good for melodic stuff. So in that regards, it's a great jazz instrument. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that you can play chords, you can uh, change the tone a lot. Yeah. That's something I explore a lot is... And I'm trying to get more and more into is not having a un, like one-dimensional tone. So yeah. I'll change it based on the song. I'll change it based on how I'm feeling in the moment. Yeah. Um, the mood of the song, the character. I will literally change where my bow is, the pressure yeah. I have, um, and and all the the ways that I can. Like a singer doesn't just sing the exact same way this, all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So so those are those are the things that. I'm really focusing in on now to try to broaden, yeah. broaden the scope of it. And but but as far as the original question, the struggle, yeah, I think it. it of course, I mean, Definitely. I think that might be me. Don't worry. Yeah, um, yeah. No. So, of course, yeah. There, I, I had some serious technical things for me. It was like, I I felt like I was creative first and then technical second. So it was like, my I had these ideas in my head but I couldn't execute them and slowly yeah. and I feel like I'm starting to catch up there which is exciting because yeah. oh, cool. um, that's a cool place to be and where I'm trying to maintain and so yeah. a lot of a lot of why I'm practicing all the, the Paganini and that kind of stuff mm. is to maintain the ideas in my head in the moment to be able yeah. to execute them and so yeah I, uh, I hear you on that totally. yeah. yeah I need to I need to, man, I need to sort my technique out I always think that I'm always trying to I'm always trying to sort my technique out oh me too. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should get a, like a good classical teacher because I'm in London and there's going to be someone who's going to who will be able to. You know what you should do is, and I've done this before in the past. I actually did this um, kind of post post heart, so yeah. I, I didn't have a teacher. Yeah. But I still felt like there was a couple things. Yeah. So I, I I met with somebody and traded. I traded right. improv. Yeah. For their classical, and you that's know, great. Yeah, I was gonna. I nearly I nearly did that as well. It didn't happen. I know I was going to do that with. Uh, Flora, I was gonna do that. Yeah, I should. You should. It's a good idea. It, yeah, yeah. You know, even if it's like a once, yeah. once a month check in. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. this is what I'm noticing on you from the technical side. Yeah. And oh, here, you know, you you have a lot to offer as far yeah, as yeah. improvisation and yeah. the creative elements and. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, and that's one of the good things about if you get a lot of violinists together. So that's the problem is jazz violinists just don't really hang out with violinists. Like I, for me, because I don't really do any classical stuff. Don't really meet and don't really know any violinists. So when mm -hmm. I do meet them, I'm like, oh, actually, oh yeah. To, what do you do there? And stuff like that. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I, whenever I'm, 
uh, whenever I'm with another violinist, like yeah. great classical player, like I'm working on this, I'm working on the the Paganini 24 yeah, right now, uh, and Jesus. it's the classic one, yeah. you know, and and like doing the the tense, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. what's up with that? I mean, <laughs> do you cheat? And I, and because he has to slide these perfect tense, and they yeah. go from minor to major, and yeah. anyone who's played it is probably uh, will hear this and be like, oh god, that section is torture. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's just like those kind of things where we're constantly learning and then they would ask me like oh when you're improvising like what do you like how do you work on that kind of thing yeah, and yeah. so I, I'm, I'm great like, thing to do yeah. yeah the sharing of knowledge I think a lot of the best best things the best uh, inventions and the, the best uh, music is probably from those periods of time or pockets of, of when people got together and sh- the sharing of ideas instead of like I'm all alone in just fi- trying to figure it out. Yeah. Let's let's share ideas. Yeah, I guess we used to have to share ideas to get anything, didn't we? Yeah. So well, now, now people we... think that you got the internet, and yeah. it's an amazing tool. Yeah. YouTube, Spotify, slow things down, transcribe. Yeah. Yeah. You have amazing tools, but sometimes it's overwhelming to the point where you don't even use them. Yeah, yeah. Where you just say, I, I, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean. Like I'm, I'm, I'm currently reading a, a, a biography on Fritz Chrysler. Um, yeah. He's great. He's kind of a kindred spirit of mine. You know, he was a he, writer and, um, it just seems like a, a from where I'm reading, it's just like a yeah. really, you know, it's like a good person and good sense of humor and yeah. just like it seems like a, uh, and of course musically, I mean, he's he's he had such a important influence on the, the violin tradition sure yeah but he was he was hanging out in the, like Vienna Conservatory like Brahms was there and you know so Brahms would be he would get to like play a Brahms piece before it was written or like yeah. while he's writing it I mean that kind of thing is pretty amazing yeah it's crazy and so I think you have to seek those out it doesn't have I mean if you're in a college like yeah. I'm at, at Berkeley for example I'm around you know some amazing like Arabic music, music, yeah. and I'm hearing that. And whether I'm like directly studying it, I'm absorbing it. I'm asking questions about yeah. microtone music. Um, there's some great fiddle music, and so I hear something and perks. Oh, okay, I'm gonna try to incorporate that. Yeah. So being around that, whether it's built into your life already, or or it's you go to these camps, or yeah. you just say, you know what, I really should, you know, get together with some folks. And it's, it's tricky now because a lot of people are doing in their own bubbles with social media, and they think yeah. that's enough socializing. Yeah, it's just but not, it's not. It's not. Totally it's not. And, it, and it's tricky. And for me, it's definitely the the Berkeley community and traveling. I mean, I'm so happy to be here in London. Yeah. Finally, get to meet you. I know yeah. we've coordinated on like, speaking of social media. Yeah. There are benefits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with social media as far as meeting people but yeah. you can't be actually playing and yeah, actually totally. meeting and talking about music and exactly, what's your man. theory on this what's your philosophy and yeah, yeah. just being open to it so I love yeah. traveling and uh, meeting people from around the world different perspectives and, yeah. Um, yeah 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 well I guess this is sort of why I put this together because actually it was just so much so many times when I was like, when you're sitting practicing, you're like, I really want to know what like this guy thinks about this because I'm thinking this, and I wonder if they agree with me. And sometimes it's really hard to, you know, to to find that out. I think sharing knowledge is always a good thing. Yeah, totally. 
it's yeah. a big part of it yeah what are you what are your plans coming up have you got any big things that you're planning well uh i'm just about to release a new album with what has been one of my main like gypsy jazz outlets my gypsy jazz projects a group called rhythm future quartet we do oh, yeah. we do a lot of my arrangements yeah. my originals and um we mix in some world stuff and mm -hmm. this next album we got some fantastic uh, special guests we oh. got singer Cyrilla me uh, uh this great uh bandolin player hamilton de Holanda and uh, from brazil and stokolo rosenberg cool yeah so it's a kind of a rhythm future quartet and friends album and nice. it's really fun yeah. So that'll be coming out soon, mm -hmm. probably late October. Yeah. Do you have that? Is that uh, on a label or is that self-released? Uh, I've been. I kind of started a little label called Magic Fiddle Music, and so I did cool. basically a self-released. Yeah. Um, on my nice. own label. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have done some stuff with labels, and there's there are some benefits for sure. They mm -hmm. definitely are, and I have another project that I'm trying to push push around to see if anyone's interested that's going to be more of a modern jazz thing mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean we travel when you travel a lot with a band yeah nothing beats getting 100 percent of the profits yeah because <laughs> yeah. i think when you're on a label you might get seven dollars to 20 yeah. if you sell for 20 dollars yeah. you get seven yeah yeah, or, yeah. You, or you have to buy your own albums that's a risk yeah and you know you have to pay up front for it and then you get the profit at the back end yeah, yeah. as opposed to so so from that standpoint it's been much more practical to just really self-release it yeah. and we get all the profits yeah, but yeah. but then you have to pay for it you have to figure that out yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, i've yeah. done i've done some uh, for the past two albums with her in future we did crowdsourcing mm -hmm. um we've been lucky to, to kind of build a, a little bit of a fan base mm -hmm. and um We've, we've we've been able to raise most of the money for the the album, mm -hmm. so which, which is great. So it's like you kind of get it out there at a clean slate, you know, mm -hmm. starting at zero, not like in debt yeah, with yeah. an album. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it because I think there's a lot of people that feel feel like um, as I did, like I feel we I feel bad asking for money or I feel yeah. bad, but at the end of the day, if they're a fan, it's basically they're they just get one less pizza yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then they have fun, help fund your album yeah it's yeah. like 20 bucks you know it's not i think the the musicians need to do better at valuing valuing themselves yeah and saying i'm worth this because it's i know that spotify is saying music should be free and you yeah. should pay artists one cent for every million yeah. plays that's not how it should be because yeah. we invest our entire lives to the music so yeah. when we produce an album I think if you believe in it and you say I think it, I think it's really worth this 20 you know I think it'll be worth you checking it out and the time and and so I found that people have been pretty generous in uh, donating because really it's like it's little from everybody and then it becomes it really helps to fund this album yeah yeah so yeah you're, you're talking sense I think you know I think it like Brits we're a bit, um, bit. We're, so, we're much more negative than you guys. Like, it, there's plenty of negativity in US. I'm sure there is, but uh, I definitely. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking rubbish. But I do feel <laughs> like a lot of music. It's, it's like all, It's one of those. It's sometimes it, it with 
the the British folks. It's always raining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I look, I look stupid. They'll all just think I'm being. Nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. Crowd, crowdfunded, too embarrassing. No, but like America, look, look desperate. Yeah, 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 but but like, it's just not. It's just rubbish. It's yeah. like such a bad part of such a such a bad part. Maybe maybe well, I'm talking about myself. It, I think. I, <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's part of why you guys have Brit. great sense of sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you kind of. You know, happy to, don't take yourselves too seriously, yeah. and uh, happy to go dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so I think it's a big part of like the, the what makes you guys hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I I was the same way. I was like, I feel weird, you yeah. know, having to do this, and it just feels it feels strange to have to do that. But I'm sure there's gonna it be works. People, I'm and sure there's people listen who will listen and be like, they're they're trying to put out their first album and they're how do I do it? How am I going to get $5,000, $6,000 for yeah. this? Um, with, you know, if it's your first record, you don't know if you're going to make that money back. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky enough that I travel enough and have built up. Yeah. I mean, it's still, we're still talking niche on niche yeah, here, yeah, yeah. but still, you get enough in that your niche world that people yeah, yeah. are interested, you can actually make some money off it, which yeah. is the, the goal. Yeah. Make money off your art, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Totally. Um, come on. I think I think I've asked you pretty much everything that I, I went. I thought to ask you what you're up to now. What you're, uh, yeah, that's good. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah, we, um, my pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. I've been Matt Holborn, and you have also been listening to Jason Anik. Um, please like, share and subscribe and do all those internet things Um, you can find us everywhere on the internet I reckon if you just google the Jazz Violin Podcast you will find us on all the platforms Um, what was I going to say I was going to say please tell your friends if you've got friends who like jazz violin or are learning jazz violin or just like the violin in general then uh, send this their way. Uh, Also, I am giving Skype lessons now, so if you would like Skype lessons in jazz violin or just improvisation on the violin in general, then email me on mattholborn88 at gmail.com. For next month, uh, I'm not sure what's going to be coming on because I'm going to be away on tour, and so it's going to be quite hectic i'm going to be away on tour all the way through europe with uh, gonzalo bergara so which is going to be great but i um yeah i, I imagine it's uh, it's going to be quite hectic but anyway i will try and get something out there and i have some things in the pipeline anyway so we'll work something out uh yeah please come again mm-hmm.